and welcome to the Alan Overy podcast. I'm Shruti Aditsaria. I'm a partner in our London office and the head of FUSE, our technology innovation hub. While the attention of climate change policymakers around the world shifts to the 26th UN Climate Change Conference being held in the UK during November 2021, many companies are busy preparing to disclose for the first time their alignment with the EU's taxonomy for sustainable activities. But what is this taxonomy and why is it necessary? What do companies need to do? And importantly, how should they do it? Joining me to discuss this are Matt Townsend, a partner and co-head of the firm's Global Environment and Climate Law Group, Elizabeth Gillam, head of the EU Government Relations and Public Policy at Invesco, and Alex Stevens, the CEO of Fused Cohort Company, Greenamy. Welcome, Elizabeth, Alex, and hello, Matt. Matt, when we talk about the EU taxonomy, which is something you've been advising clients on a lot lately, can you tell me a little bit more about what this taxonomy is and how we got to where we are now? Yes, thanks, uh, Shruti. Um, well, one of the um, key goals of the 2018 Sustainable Finance Action Plan was to um, facilitate channeling capital towards investment needed to implement Paris Agreement and the UN SDGs. It's a fundamental um, policy plank of uh, underpinning uh, much of what we see now emerging from Europe in particular. Um, and the taxonomy regulation provides a um, common framework for defining whether activities are so-called environmentally sustainable uh, to assist with this overall goal, as well as helping to combat greenwashing, which is a kind of key, key theme that really runs throughout the taxonomy uh, regulation itself. And it includes um, mandatory disclosures, which apply largely to buy-side type products, as well as supplementing um, obligations under the non-financial reporting directive. And it may also potentially in future be tied to other obligations um, under the um, European Union's sustainability agenda. And so the taxonomy, I think, also has been promoted as um, potentially being a tool to be used on a voluntary basis as well for describing really what is, in, in very general terms, what is, is green for other type of products. So it's, it's very much, a, at one level, very much kind of high-level framework, but there's an awful lot of detail that sits in the taxonomy regulation and then in, um, in the delegated acts that will sit underneath it. And it's really centred around six objectives – uh, climate change mitigation, climate change adaptation, the circular economy, marine and water resource protection, pollution prevention control, um, and the restoration of biodiversity and ecosystems. Um, so in, in, um, in, in very broad terms, an activity is environmentally sustainable or, as we say, taxonomy compliant if it substantially contributes to at least one of those objectives – and it does not significantly harm any of the um, any of the overall objectives, and complies with um, the technical screening criteria, the delegated uh, acts, as I, I call them, which are much more detailed provisions about specific activities um, that flow from the uh, taxonomy uh, framework, and plus uh, activities which have to comply with minimum social and governance standards. So I think the key point there is is that it provides that classification framework, but also makes clear that even if you satisfy that on pure environmental and climate terms, you still need to make sure that you're not having an adverse impact in other ways, 
and whether that's um, the other objectives or indeed, as I say, social or um, governance or um, other other uh, regulatory standards. And the main regulation was passed last year. Um, uh, technical screening criteria, as I've said, are currently being developed and the obligations are due to apply in relation to climate-related ob- uh, objectives from the 1st of January uh, next year. So really at the at the beginning of the um, of the journey, uh, and there's an awful lot of details still to come. Thanks, Matt. Looks like there's going to be a big job ahead. Yeah, I mean, almost certainly. Um, and I think the the other interesting dynamic in all of this, of course, is um, how far this framework um, becomes very much the kind of standard internationally, and the extent to which other countries, which is what's starting to happen. Uh, start to develop their own taxonomies to reflect more local conditions, priorities, um, and so forth. Thank you. Elizabeth, you've obviously been working hard for a long time preparing for these changes. What's the main challenge that you've faced implementing the new rules that Matt's just described? I think from from probably the the headline message and the biggest challenge, uh, as Matt sort of alluded to in his comments, is the complexity of this new framework. Um, the taxonomy is, is quite a new way of thinking about, about ESG. The requirements, particularly once you get down into uh, what are known as the technical screening criteria, um, are quite complex and there's a lot of different data points that you need to be able to understand. And so I think the first challenge really for us was um, you know, educating our, our investment teams around what the taxonomy is, what its purpose is, and how they should start thinking about it. Uh, I mean, maybe just as an anecdote, when I first started talking about the taxonomy in Internally, I had some colleagues who thought I was talking about taxidermy. Uh, and, and just to clarify, taxidermy is not eligible uh, at the moment. Um, I think the other part of this is, is going to be the data challenge. Uh, so as I said, this is a brand new framework. It requires a lot of data points in order to be able to assess uh, whether an activity is aligned to the taxonomy um, and the various tests that, that Matt set out that you need to be able to go through. Um, and today, is, you know, r- companies just don't report a lot of the information that you would need to do um, to be able to assess that. Um, as Matt mentioned, there will be a, a sort of reporting obligation on European companies um, who are subject to the NFRD, um, but that won't be coming on stream f- for a little while. Um, and so being able to try and start implementing this today um, is quite challenging, bearing in mind we have very little data to go on to start trying to think about, you know, how our portfolios would line up against this new framework. I mean, just listening to you speak, it all feels quite daunting. Um, And particularly when you talk about the collection of lots of data points, I can imagine that companies are feeling really quite overwhelmed. I wondered if you had any practical advice you could give to people to help them on this journey. Sure. So I think the way that we've been going about it um, at Invesco is is a couple of things. So firstly, I think it's identifying that how you plan on using the taxonomy. Uh, now, as Matt mentioned in his introduction, there are some legally required uses of the taxonomy. So for certain um, investment products that have an environmental focus, they are required by law to disclose that taxonomy alignment um, to the taxonomy. So there is a certain amount of work that has to be done um, in terms of complying with those obligations. But I think firms, you know, will want to think about how they use this data more broadly. You know, is it about, you know, they might want to think about how they might want to start thinking about product development around the taxonomy. Uh, bearing in mind, we, you know, we assume that there will be appetite for you know uh, products that will um, 
target a certain level of alignment in the taxonomy, um, particularly given that, that links through to some of the distribution rules that, that will be coming on board next year in Europe. Um, but also from an ESG integration point of view, you know, we have some portfolio managers who, who just think that the taxonomy is an interesting additional data point to be considering um, in their investment process. Um, so I think that's sort of the first step of identifying you know, what are the use cases and how do firms want to use the taxonomy above and beyond just the, the core reporting. The second one is then obviously identifying relevant data sources that they're going to need to be able to comply with these obligations and, and onboarding that data, um, whether that's you know, in-house uh, resources um, or, or whether that's third-party data providers who, who are building solutions to, to address this. And then you know, the final point you know, hinging on those is then building out the process. How do we get that data into the right places um, across the, the, the company um, to make sure that you know, the process and is is built um, around all of those use cases, and it flows seamlessly through through the organisation. Thanks, Elizabeth. Recognising that we're at a very early stage in the journey, Matt, what have been your observations so far in terms of practical advice that you can give? Yeah, so I, I think Elizabeth quite nicely sums up um, some of the kind of key challenges and the the, the key the key issues. I mean, I think it's it's been a very interesting journey, as I'm sure we've all kind of been through. Um, uh, and the kind of investment community looking at this framework for the first time and actually, you know, trying to translate this into practical internal investment guidelines and, and how, how do you kind of hardwire this into major organisations with significant amounts of funds um, in investment or, or pending investment and and also strategically where do you want to go with it um, and Elizabeth touched on this point um, you know I think there is a there's a kind of headline issue for many in terms of what are our priorities um, and how do we blend this with you know the other investment criteria that we should be applying um, in, in how we deploy our, uh, our funds I think there's also clearly an issue we spend a lot of time I spend a lot of time with clients on, on the whole kind of spectrum from in investment obviously then through to the kind of corporate the corporate world and um, where you know they're probably a little bit behind and some well actually you know we're let's say we're a PLC uh, what does the taxonomy mean to us and um, we're trying to attract, attract new investment and whether that's through the public markets or uh, private investors or PE whatever it may be uh, you know how, how far do we need to take all this into account I mean I think at a super high level, the fundamental point, or in fact, there's two actually. One is you have to see this in the context of the plethora of um, financial and indeed non-financial regulation that's already starting to emerge um, from Europe in particular, but certainly not exclusively, um, which which um, clients are having to kind of tussle with. So it needs to be kind of put into that context to then work out what your strategy needs to be. Where do you place yourself? What are the what are the challenges for you as an organisation? And you know now and in five years time, etc. Um, and and where where do you need to go? Um, I think the, the, the second kind of very big point is 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 quite clearly this policy point that um, you know the commission in my view is 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 driving a very very significant reallocation of private capital towards the objectives you see in the taxonomy regulation i mean it, it, probably one of the biggest um, shifts uh, outside wartime periods of private capital for pu for public policy purposes 
And so we, we need to kind of change our thinking a little bit. So actually, how, how do we work with that criteria? How do we fit into it? And how do we do that in a way that minimizes greenwashing and um, doesn't expose us to accusations that we're greenwashing? So that's a whole topic in and of itself. But I think it's fair to say, if you look back over the last 10 years, you know, there's a lot of products out there, there's a lot of activities out there that, that may well be labeled as, you know, climate adaptive or, um, you know, supporting circular economy, and you actually lift the lid on them. And I think that would be somewhat debatable, quite frankly. So, so I think that that's very much another theme that comes through when we talk to clients about, about the, the risks that are associated with this, particularly in this, what I think essentially we're in a shadow period without seeing all the detailed guidance that are, that's linked to the uh, taxonomy framework. Thanks, Matt. And, and Alex, we've just heard from Matt about the requirement of a change in thinking. Um, are you seeing that practically on the ground? Absolutely. Well, speaking with customers, um, they're more in this phase of uh, understanding what is the taxonomy, how should they uh, get prepared instead of um, what solutions can be brought up and, and what uh, uh, product developments uh, would happen internally. So, what we see today is that this legislation has been adopted recently. Uh, there's more pieces to it that will be added at the end of the year, and all these screening criteria will be reviewed every three years. We've assessed that there's about 2,500 data points uh, already in the current legislation. And it's a problem that affects all players, not only investors, but also credit institutions and, and uh, the corporates that will be, need to disclose. The key here is um, to process these thousands of pages of legislation, uh, make sure that enough ESG expertise is available. So it will be about 60,000 players in the European market alone that will have to do the screening on a yearly basis. And it's hard to find uh, 60,000 ESG experts that can provide this expertise. And um, their overall compliance cost is estimated at 2.1 billion. Now, now it's the beginning. This legislation is there for the next 30 years. Uh, and indeed, uh, I will always take the analogy of IFRS when it came up for, for financial accounting. This is the same, the, the, the same approach. We have the taxonomy, which is a common language that everyone will use when it comes to non-financial reporting. Uh, surely it is uh, difficult for all to, to process it and, and apply it today. But uh, over the next two, three years and over the long term, uh, it will become uh, an, an easy, understandable standard where everyone can uh, uh, use it to, to compare products, financial products, and, and make the right decisions. Um, my key advice would be that all these different players, where there, there are investors having to screen their uh, investment portfolios, uh, and interact with their investees or lenders that have to screen loan books and get the data from the corporate borrowers or corporates themselves that do this report and share, share it with their investors and bankers is to work together. This challenge is the same for everyone. Uh, and the idea is to share best practices and see what can be done together through an ecosystem approach to uh, help implement this legislation faster and make sure that the impact that it's aiming for uh, will be delivered uh, sooner than later. Thanks, Alex. I mean, you've all um, talked about the difficulties in identifying the relevant data sources and then extracting the, the huge number of data points. Uh, it might be interesting to talk about the role of the data providers in all of this. Elizabeth, 
Do you have any experience in trying to find a third-party data provider for, that meets your needs? Yes, we do. So that's one of the steps that we're currently working on, which is going out to a range of data providers to understand uh, the solutions that they can they can provide to help us um, uh, address this data challenge within the taxonomy. Um, I should say that I think bearing in mind a lot of the rules are only just being finalised now, you know, the delegated acts that define what the actual criteria are and what those data points need to be is, uh, have, have only just been adopted. Um, so a lot of the solutions are still very much in, in flux um, and, and, and being built out as we speak. But I think what we've seen um, is a variety of approaches and I think, you know, if I'm honest, I don't think we've seen a single solution that we thought, you know, ticked every single box. Um, so it's very much about assessing the pros and cons depending on, on different people's needs. But I think what we've been looking at is um, five different sort of broad things. So and, and four of them are the sort of individual tests for the taxonomy. So when we look at sort of taxonomy eligibility, um, we see that some providers are, dis are, are building sort of bespoke solutions very much built around the requirements of the taxonomy and what's in scope for the taxonomy. Whereas we see that other providers are sort of repurposing existing uh, tools that they already had, um, which sometimes have a slightly different scope to the taxonomy and therefore there might be some blind spots. Um, and so we're, you know, trying to understand where those blind spots might be is, is quite important. The second one is obviously around the alignment methodology. Um, as I mentioned before, there's no hard data and most companies don't report the required data um, to be able to assess uh, alignment. Um, so the data providers are having to model that. Um, and so the question is really, you know, trying to understand their methodologies, where are they sourcing the data, what proxies are they using to do that alignment methodology um, and, and understand what that is. Um, and I should say in most cases, what we're seeing is that they're able to do this to a certain extent for turnover, um, but, but, but uh, it's much more challenging for CapEx, which is the other uh, core KPI. Um, then obviously in terms of the do no significant harm assessment, um, we're seeing quite a variety of approaches um, in terms of how data providers are solving for that. Some are using their existing ESG research and controversies data um, and others are providing different things. So trying to understand uh, what that is and, and to what extent they're giving you a clear, you know, yes, it's it meets the criteria, no, it doesn't, or whether it requires you as the investor to set your own confidence threshold and, and make that determination. And they're just sort of providing the data tool to allow you to do that. And then finally, the, the minimum uh, safeguards um, is the final test where, again, it's understanding what their methodology is how they use it what proxies are they using to do that and then i think the final thing for us is is sort of the usability and reporting um, in terms of you know how easy is it to plug into our existing systems what does the framework look like for investors and others to, to access it do they include for example a portfolio aggregation tool so they can actually do that core reporting that we will have to do at fund level and break down the data points into the relevant bits that we will need to do um, so those are some of the things that we're particularly looking at obviously mindful as I said that things are still in flux and and the precise requirements particularly at fund level reporting um, haven't been finalized yet so um, we're, we're still assessing um, how those will match up um, when we see the final rules. There's probably no better a time in life to be an ESG related tech startup which is why we're so happy Alex to have Greenamy um, in views this year um, we would love all to hear what problem you're solving with customers like Elizabeth and how your solution works for them certainly and, and, and thanks to Alan over and, and the fuse accelerator for, for having us uh, well what, what we've done is that we, we've codified uh, the entire EU uh, 
sustainable finance taxonomy, SFDR, and uh, NFRD uh, legislation into multiple portals catering to the different stakeholders. And we really have a more of a bottom-up approach where um, we start with a company portal uh, where corporates can go through the entire workflow of the EU taxonomy, uh, connect to their ERP systems, and generate uh, the calculations of their turnover capex opex alignments, the required reports in PDF and XBRL format, and share that data with any external stakeholders, banks, investors, authorities um, that may have a need for it. We also have set up an auditor portal where corporates can run a first line of audit and where their own auditors could uh, assist them and certify this information, uh, combining both manual but also technological input and, and making sure the certification uh, can be achieved uh, faster. On the financial institution side, uh, what we're doing, we've set up um, an investor portal where um, investors can list all their different investees either connect to one of their uh, data providers if they have the, the required license uh, or reach out directly to their investees, which is more particular for, for PE funds. And by combining those different data sources, we aggregate all the calculations according to legislation and generate the exact reports that, as I mentioned, that investors can then publish and, and disseminate to any stakeholders um, that would require it. On the lender side, and for credit institutions, we've set up um, the exact IT uh, infrastructure um, that banks can integrate uh, instantly and where they could on one side uh, reach out to the corporate borrowers, send out invitation customers where that get the access to a company portal and invite them to do the screening for any depth instrument, uh, but also connect to any existing um, databases, uh, proxies and feed that into the lender portal and assist banks when it comes to screening um, their loans without uh, necessarily bothering um, their customers. So over, overall, what we've done, what we've built is, is the whole ecosystem connecting corporates, auditors, investors, bank, banks, and help them uh, work together, exchange the data, generate the data, certify it, uh, share it, and finalize, finally uh, analyzing uh, this data. Um, what the, the ambition for beyond reporting and, and compliance, which is the, the main pain now for the first uh, two, three years, is to also analyze all of this data and uh, assist customers to um, um, uh, make a gap analysis between uh, their reported data and the thresholds set by the commission, compare themselves with their peers, and um, receive data-driven recommendations that help them uh, improve their overall taxonomy scores, sustainability levels over time, and communicate their improvements uh, uh, objectives with uh, banks and investors and, and acquire the, the required capital to achieve those goals. So um, Greenomy is, is a rectic uh, with the objective of solving the, the, the data collection reporting uh, imminent problem, but over the midterm and long term, assist all the different players to, to improve their sustainability levels and reach the carbon neutrality goals of 2050. Alex, thank you. Every time I hear you explain what you do, I feel like um, 
greening me will be so helpful to so many different people but there'll be I'm sure times when it's not relevant and not right for a type of customer and it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on, on when that would be. Indeed. So um, we're basing our product really on, on, on the legislation and its scope. So by January 2022, it's applicable to financial institutions and, and listed corporates. By 2023, it will be private companies with more than 250 employees. And then with the CSRD, that I hope will be um, adopted next year. By 2026, it will apply to SMEs. Now, um, the solution as it is today is really dedicated to uh, larger players that have ERP systems, collect the data, and can feed them, uh, feed the data into the, the the solution and generate the accurate reports. Now, what we're doing to cater to smaller players, SMEs, and help them um, also uh, generate the required data is that we're partnering up with other uh, fintechs, regtechs, tech providers across Europe, and um, offer them solutions such as uh, installing IoT sensors in uh, in their factories, uh, offices, um, use lifecycle assessment process engineering so that based on statistics and proxies, we can generate initial answers that can help uh, into getting the, the final taxonomy score. And so this is really an ongoing process. Um, we've now launched the, the, the first solution that already uh, helps uh, solve the, the, the first problems uh, faced by larger players. And as we move forward as a, as a company, we will develop those other products, partner up with the other right players. So we can offer a bundle that offers uh, all the necessary solutions from A to Z, uh, regardless whether you're a large or a smaller player. Thanks, Alex. The more I hear, the more I realise that getting hold of the right data is um, going to be a real big challenge for people. Um, and Elizabeth, you, you, you mentioned that at the beginning, but straight after that, you also then talked about making sure that once you have the data, you need to know how to use it. Would you mind giving us a bit more guidance on that? I think that, you know, how you use it really comes down to, um, you know, what companies and what their aspirations are. I think, you know, Matt um, mentioned this um, earlier as well in terms of, you know, the strategic vision around the, the data and how it fits into their broader ESG strategy. Um, and, and we can broadly, you know, if we think around sort of broad maturity scales, there's going to be different levels. So, you know, we normally talk about, you know, understand, adopt, deepen, and then lead. Now, clearly, the regulation forces us to very quickly skip over the understand uh, step to, to adopt. And as I mentioned, there's a core regulatory piece that, you know, we will have to be able to, as a minimum, report on. Uh, the taxonomy for existing products that fit within the scope of, of the taxonomy. Uh, but clearly, as Matt mentioned, there's then that question around greenwashing, which is if you have a product that says it's contributing to climate change, and yet it has, for example, a low taxonomy score, um, at what point do you then have to start considering to what extent you want to start embedding the taxonomy as a criteria within your investment process for those products? and having clear targets within those products as to what uh, percentage you're, you are going to devote to the taxonomy in order to ensure um, that, that those products do match the taxonomy to, to a certain extent, um, you know, either at product level or also portfolio level. Um, and then also, you know, I think, you know, I think this is where we get to the sort of deepened stage of, of really embedding this in processes or having bespoke 
products that are going to be built around the taxonomy. Um, and then I think at the leadership phase, you know, increasingly as, as firms start to think around net zero and their commitments to net zero, at what point do, do firms start making firm commitments um, around their, their alignment to, to taxonomy? Um, and I think that will be an increasing focus. Uh, you know, we know, for example, under the, the net zero investment framework proposed by the IIGCC, um, there is a core part around firms making commitments to what they term climate solutions which would very closely align with the taxonomy. So I think that there's going to be different levels depending on where firms are in, in their journey when it comes to, to, to ESG. Um, starting from just, you know, is it just a core reporting regulatory obligation to wanting to sort of embed this in their investment processes and then going all the way to, to having this as a core strategic objective and setting clear targets. And Alex, what's your perspective, um, particularly on the scale of the challenge? Well, um... The idea is that uh, the taxonomy, both, both on the corporate side, the taxonomy is really a, a transition path. It tells you exactly for each economic activity what needs to be achieved to be considered sustainable. And so uh, by using those those thresholds, you can exactly know uh, what needs to be done, raise the financing, uh, implement it, and then improve your score, improve your access to capital, lower the cost of capital, because the higher the taxonomy score, the more easier it may be to, to raise financing. And But also that has direct impacts, tangible, intangible impacts in terms of your reputation as a corporate. The higher taxonomy score, uh, the, the better your reputation may appear. I believe that, yes, the taxonomy is now uh, understood by, by the financial sector, but at some point, uh, individuals, um, will also uh, look at that uh, that result as a as a benchmark, and 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 get a sort of signaling whether um, the company where they're buying uh, products and services are, are meeting those thresholds that are scientifically based and and set uh, into the legislation. On on the investor side, banking side, um, um, I believe, and and that's also our ambition in in terms of product. Our goal is really to see how we can help investors uh, and bankers allocate the capital according to the taxonomy. What we're doing is trying to see what's the correlation between a taxonomy score and the return on investment and give concrete recommendations um, for investors to, to determine uh, what can be done uh, in terms of their overall uh, portfolio positioning uh, to, to improve their overall score. And, and get a higher return on investment. So that's also very important to, to channel more funding towards sustainable projects and, and, and see that um, this is not uh, just a, a, a mere um, a legislative exercise. It has tangible results in terms of uh, operational margins and, and return on investment. Thanks, Alex. Um, at the outset of this podcast, Matt, I think you mentioned looking at this through um, sort of a policy lens as well. One of the key purposes of the taxonomy regulation is to challenge, channel capital towards infrastructure that will be required for the transition to net zero and other sustainability goals. Elizabeth, you just talked about net zero briefly just now, but how effective would you say um, this is is going to be in doing that? I think the taxonomy is, is part of the, the broader toolkit, um, but I think the challenge is it, it's not the single sort of comprehensive answer I think that maybe the Commission would, would like it to be. The reason I say that is that, you know, 
despite the data challenges we've already been discussing, there have been a few macro studies to try to estimate the level of taxonomy alignment um, in the EU market. And most of them find that, you know, for example, some of the major benchmarks like the Eurostox 50, you're probably looking at about 1% alignment if you're investing in that. So if you want to, the, the actual opportunities for taxonomy alignment are, are quite limited today. Um, which brings us to this idea of wanting to very much focus on um, the concept of transition. Um, and while the taxonomy um, is very good at identifying activities that, that are already um, you know, net zero aligned, um, it's less good as a tool to identify that transition pathway. Where are those companies who you know, are on the pathway towards net zero um, over a certain period of time? And what are the metrics and how do you measure that? Um, I think the taxonomy can play a part in assessing that transition pathway. And it can be one of the areas in terms of to what extent you know, they're investing towards taxonomy alignment in the future. Um, but the taxonomy in and of itself won't give you the whole picture um, and will need a lot more tools to, to discuss that. Now, that's an area that the European Commission has recognised and it, in its new uh, sustainable finance strategy that was adopted uh, in the summer uh, of 2021, they have recognised this transition point and are talking about um, developing a transitional taxonomy. Uh, so recognising that the current taxonomy is about defining what's what's already green, um, but that there may be a case for defining this, this intermediate status of companies that are in the process of transitioning to help investment flow to those companies as well. Thanks, Matt. Do you um, have anything that you would like to add? Yeah, I mean, I, th I, I find this a very interesting point. Um, uh, and I mean, there's, a, there's a kind of, the, there's a transition point and there's also a political point, I think, in this as well. Um, in the, the existing taxonomy framework, and as I said right at the beginning, much of the detail still being, um, still to be kind of rolled out, and the, the, the thresholds and the standards and the detail criteria, um, the, the, which are still to be seen and applied, how those are tuned is absolutely critical to the success of the taxonomy regulation. And there are different v political views about that. You know, do you go for a more kind of absolute, uh, you know, if you're going to be taxonomy aligned, then the threshold's pretty high, or, or indeed, don't we need to recognise the um, the critical phase of transition, which of course is what we're going through and will be going through for in reality for many many years, so um, if not um, for decades. So, so this this point that Elizabeth has, has um, talked about in terms of the um, the renewed strategy on financing the transition that came out in July that picks up this point and recognises it. Is, is a really significant, for me, is a really significant point um, because I think we do need that. And, um, but, but it is a politically charged discussion. So one of the, one of the points that's raised in the, um, in the strategy is that um, activities such as you know, nuclear, agriculture and uh, natural gas you know, may need to be looked at as transitional um, activities for these uh, purposes, possibly with some form of sunset clause. So they're included for a uh, only for a, um, a limited time. Now, the debate around particularly nuclear and natural gas has been pretty charged, um, and and how you treat those, and again, how what, what the real detailed technical criteria and, and some of the safeguards that are, sit around all of that. 
how they're tuned as i said is 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 really really important to to how this actually works out in practice so um so very very important kind of process and i think that i think the the other points to note, or a couple of other quick points to note, the taxonomy, I don't think it was ever intended to be a kind of standstill, you know, framework. It was always, as we've seen for decades in environmental and climate law, intended to adapt to evolving science and indeed, you know, politics and policy. Um, so that was, all, I think, always the intention. So you're going to, you're going to get, um, you're going to get policymakers applying the screwdriver to the um, to the t- taxonomy and the multiple taxonomies on a fairly regular basis, in my personal view. Uh, second point to note is, which I think is also well, it's linked to transition, but but it is more broadly is, is are we going to see a kind of taxonomy nationalism happening? In that you know we're already seeing this, particularly in APAC, where countries are saying actually no, we're not going to simply cut and paste the EU taxonomy. We, because it doesn't reflect our local conditions, right? It doesn't reflect what our energy supply currently looks like, what it is going to have to look like, what the transition looks like, are the thresholds set too high, etc. What does the technical screening criteria need to look like? So the UK is currently developing its own version of technical screening criteria where um, countries like Canada, Singapore, Malaysia committed to developing their own taxonomies. Um, and, um, and there's been calls in a number of other countries for similar frameworks. So if you look at this globally, for, you know you've got, you're, you've got a huge amount of funds to invest globally. How are you going to navigate that global picture where you've got you will have some very fine and nuanced differences in approach between on a, on a regional and jurisdictional basis uh, between all of that, both on a kind of the end game perspective as well as the transitional perspective. Uh, you know how, how is nuclear treated in Europe as opposed to um, you know, certain other jurisdictions. So some really interesting, I think, questions that will um, hopefully be answered <laughs> over the next over the next few years. And then we'll we can have this we can have this debate in ten years' time, I think, and say, do we think the taxonomy regulation has been effective? And I think I'll, maybe at that point I could give you a proper answer. Elizabeth, I'm just sat here listening to Matt, thinking, well, for a multinational business like Invesco, that is going to be a very difficult challenge. Um, I- I'd love to hear what you think about uh, how you're going to manage that and, and what, what you think we are going to see by way of international cooperation with respect to the different taxonomies. So indeed, I think that this issue of international um, cooperation and alignment is going to be increasingly complicated as we see lots of other jurisdictions um, develop their own taxonomies. I think the core question is, is, is firstly how it gets used. I think one of the unique aspects of the EU taxonomy is that it does impose these mandatory reporting obligations on financial products. Um, many existing taxonomies, for example, in China, um, are primarily linked to, to the green bond market and defining what a green bond has to be financing. Um, And so it is maybe less of a challenge um, in terms of international um, cooperation, but particularly once it gets to the fund level, I think we're sort of seeing two areas uh, of interest, one where it could actually help and and one where there's a potential challenge. The help is obviously in terms of the data challenge, which is, um, you know, to the extent that there are other taxonomies in the world that we might be able to, for example, and if they were similar to the EU, we might be able to then use that data to assess alignment on on our portfolios, because obviously as an investor, we're not just investing in Europe, but we're investing globally. 
quickly and and being able to assess alignment you know obviously ideally for our clients we'd like to be able to tell them you know the taxonomy alignment for the whole portfolio not just the part that's that's in Europe and so to the extent that other taxonomies develop and that there's some form of equivalence between them um, and we can rely on that 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 would obviously be helpful in terms of our reporting but obviously when we you know we are also distributing products around the world and then we do come into then you know there would potentially be questions around around conflict whereas you know do we have to report against for example the EU taxonomy because the product is domiciled in Luxembourg but if we distribute it into the UK, you know, do we then have to also report under, say, a future UK um, taxonomy, which you know may may be slightly different to, to the EU one? Um, I think it's too early really to tell. Bearing in mind at the moment, as I said, I think it's only really the EU taxonomy um, that's that's in the process of implementation. But I think particularly once we see the UK taxonomy and others, we will start to understand a bit more where some of those challenges might might lie. Um, and you know, I think also then you know we can start having conversations. I know the international platform uh, set up by the European Commission is starting to have conversations around how to start aligning taxonomies um, and, and those sorts of conversations. But at the moment, they're primarily basing it on the EU and China as the two jurisdictions with with you know the most of uh, developed taxonomies that currently exist. And and is you know we'll need to wait until we see other jurisdictions develop their own approaches to understand what the differences and divergences might be. Thanks, Elizabeth. I mean, it sounds like we are still in such a state of progression um, and it's not completely clear what the future picture is going to look like. But Alex, just because I know that I'm going to ask all of you to come back to me in 10 years and do another podcast, I'm going to ask you now um, what you think the future of taxonomy is going to look like. Well, um, when it comes to to the European uh, EU taxonomy, uh, we know that by the end of the year, there's a third delegated act. There will be the social taxonomy. And, and once the CSRD is adopted next year and the scope expanding, uh, I believe there is still going to be quite some frequent change over the next two, three years. But um, the, that frequency will really reduce over time and, and uh, it will be easier for everyone to um, understand it and not be constantly having to look out at, at what are the changes. Now, um, regarding the, the international element, uh, as Elizabeth mentioned, there's the international platform sustainable finance with about 20 members from across the world. And the objective that they'll publish uh, a guidance on a common ground taxonomy that all of these members will apply. This is really a, 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 a great initiative because the more harmonization we have across taxonomies, the easier it is for everyone in the world to, to speak the same language and, and create interoperability uh, of, sust- of global sustainable financing. Um, what we've, we're doing internally is that we uh, have already um, been reached out by players outside of the European Union, whether it's in the UK, in Singapore, in the United uh, Arab Emirates. And um, what we're doing is always based on how advanced their legislation is, uh, compare the equivalences and see how that can be integrated into the platform. So the technology and the whole ecosystem remains the same. Everyone will be confronted with the data collection and and, and uh, issues in understanding the specific screening criteria. But um, the implementation of these local frameworks, what we've seen so far and is that there is quite some significant overlap. There always, always is going to be uh, some sort of local specificities, 
But um, once they integrated, we believed that we would be able to help one player uh, generate the reports across multiple frameworks and, and create that interoperability. So it's still very early. Uh, it is some sort of Brussels effect, just like the GDPR, the EU taxonomy is inspiring other taxonomies across the world. There will be differences, but we also believe there's going to be a lot of overlap. Now, the EU taxonomy will not be the only framework. TCFD is becoming more and more important. It's been validated by the G20. It's now mandatory in, in, in Switzerland, the UK, and, and in other jurisdictions. And so um, uh, we should also take into account those other frameworks uh, beyond the taxonomy. And surely, um, in the future, more frameworks will come up because the taxonomy is the first answer, focuses on a, one specific uh, approach, but um, uh, surely as, as we evolve, as the economy evolves, we'll find other um, sustainability targets uh, to which will we'll provide more importance. And as a result, all the legislation, all these uh, thresholds will adapt accordingly. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, so we're actually coming to an end of our podcast here, and I feel like I have learned an incredible amount. Firstly, that it's actually going to take quite a lot of work, I think, for people to get up to speed as to how they're going to meet their mandatory reporting requirements. But excitingly, that there'll be some flexibility for institutions to be so much more ambitious in their use cases of the taxonomy. And I really do hope that we will see much, much ambitious use. Perhaps I can invite you back all in 10 years to see what has actually unfolded. Um, but in the meantime, it just remains for me to say a huge big thank you to my speakers. So Matt, Alex and Elizabeth, thank you so much for your valuable insights. You are so incredibly well versed and it's been such a great learning for me. Thank you for joining us. Um, and thank you to you, the listener. I really hope you will look at our other podcasts as well, which are at alnovery.pod.com. I'm Shruti Ajitsarya and I look forward to speaking to you next time.